0: In 1949, the Packers were in serious financial trouble. In fact, they were so in debt, the team had to play an exhibition game on Thanksgiving in 1949 just to pay the bills for the rest of the season. So, it was rather fortunate for the cash-strapped team when, on January 24, 1950, their infamous training facility at Rockwood Lodge burned to the ground, leading to a $75,000 insurance payout. But, what caused the fire at Rockwood Lodge? Was it an inside job? Did the Packers turn to arson to save the franchise? Coming up on today's show, we try and answer that very question. Let's go now, a little life out here! <laughs> Hello everybody, welcome to the UK Packers podcast as usual. I'm your host, that's the Diddy NFL on Twitter and of course follow the group at UK Packers and we have a Discord now, so go to Discord and search UK Packers and it's there or go to our social media accounts. I cannot believe we're doing part three of a crime series. You know, I there was the first one which was Randall Woodfield, uh, who was the most notorious serial killer in American history, um, the I-5 killer. Uh, So he was drafted by the Packers and then he was released, but he still sort of saw himself as, oh, he was drafted by the Packers. So that was part one. Um, Then we had a part two, which was Curly Lambeau's grandfather who tried to commit a murder-suicide on his wife because he suspected her of cheating. That was mind-blowing. So I went back and trolled newspaper articles and did a sort of dramatic reading. And this is part three, where there's this rumour that with the Packers being so hard up for cash and doing so badly on the field and they were in dire straits from money, like, and I will do a series and I have a podcast planned and I'm writing the script for it where we talk about how many times the Packers nearly folded. Um, You know, we've the Hungry Five, we've uh, Willard Bent, who brought the insurance claim against the Packers because he fell uh, in the bleachers. Uh, We've this incident here. Uh, Bob Harlan comes in, like there's loads of different times the Packers nearly went bust. And the fact that, um, and I even talk a little bit about in this podcast about a merger, just that I don't go into it, but, you know, I've been I've been working on this podcast for a long time now and I just thought, you know, screw it, tonight's tonight. I sit down and try to put it all to audio. Uh, but one of the things that I found out was is when they were trying to sort of incorporate the teams in that AAFC merger, The Buffalo Bills were the smallest team bar Green Bay. So throughout the whole history, Green Bay have been tiny. So here's another true crime one. Did they burn down Rockwood Lodge in order to get that insurance payout to keep themselves going? I'm going to delve into it. But before I do, let me just say there's very limited spaces now. We've provisionally sold out on the group trip to Lambeau Field and I cannot wait. It's going to be a blast. We're going over uh, week eight against the Minnesota Vikings, which is the first time uh, on the schedule. In the upcoming uh, year that we're going to face a playoff team, it's the Vikings. It's a divisional game, so that's going to be a blast. Um and then we're also going to see the Buckeyes take on the Badgers at home, and the college games are always a little bit nuts. But if you don't have the cash to snap up one of the very last places on that trip, well, then you can all you can win it in the draw. So for the tenth and i Irish anniversary of u k. Packers, I decided to give away a a trip or two grand. So it's that annual tour. And like I say, you know, we're not being paid to this. It's not a promotion uh, and we're funding it through Patreon. So we do monthly draws every month. Would you believe that's why they're monthly. So that's the first shock of this podcast. Um, And we give away some really stonkingly good prizes. Uh, Signed full helmets. We've got signed footballs. I'm doing a March unboxing as well this weekend because the stuff arrived in late would you believe fedex no way um so i'll be doing a march unboxing to see what you can win but i'm giving away a trip to lambeau field and i'm giving that away in august so at date of recording it's the lucky 13th july when you listen to it it's probably the 14th for five quid five pounds you can sign up to patreon i have a step-by-step guide on how you can do it it's super simple i did it i had a video the video last three minutes i could have done it in probably 20 seconds but you know me um, so I strongly recommend that you get in there because I want this trip to go to a diehard Packer fan and it's all expenses paid. That's the flight from London. Um, it's the transfer to Green Bay. It's the transfer back down to Madison. You get game tickets to the Wisconsin Badgers versus uh, Ohio State Buckeyes game and then you get the transfer back to Green Bay because we're not going to leave you there uh, to Toma lift and then you get the tickets to the Packers game. You get the uh, tailgate tickets which is unlimited beer and uh, food at the tailgate the Packers game tickets obviously and you get your flights back it's worth one nine nine five, and that's actually what uh, we'll be paying for as well so anyway I think we're ready to get into this true crime series so let me just set the scene first off right the Packers fantastic team nearly up to this point but the late 40s were a really bad time for the Green Bay Packers both on and off the field so Look, it's, it's a bad time on the field and there's a couple of things that contribute to that. Uh, one of them was is that, you know, Don Hudson, legendary wide receiver, announced his retirement and he made this one stick. So he'd announced it before in 1943. He had a chest injury, but he ended up coming back and playing and get this. He ended up leading the league in receptions, in yards and in touchdowns when he came back. This is a guy nursing a chest injury. But he retired in 1945 and he comes back to coach uh, for curly Lambeau. not only that obviously that time period between 1939 to 1945 uh, the war had really took its toll uh, both on the pool of players and they had to go overseas or you know get drafted to stay in america but still they were fighting and then there was an upstart league that came out which was the aafc and they began poaching some of the nation's best players and also poaching players from the nfl itself um, so there was a sort of diminishing pool of players that they could select. They were either at war, uh, coming back from war and had no interest. They were past the age at that point, uh, an awful lot of injured veterans. And then this AAFC um, league upstarted and they were paying colossal money. It was very like uh, the one, the AFL-NFL merger, but that happened in 1966. But kind of a that's where they got their their sort of carbon copy footprint sort of thing from now they ended up merging in 1949 after a standoff um, but still it did sort of untold damage at that point and that did impact the Packers as well I mean the record of the team since inception uh, is unmatched they three-peated between 1929 and 1931 and they recorded only one losing season before 1948 and that was a 5-7-1 record in 1933 and to put their downfall into perspective they won the championship so this was before the days of Super Bowl they won the championship in 1944 but then they went 3-9 and in and 48 2-10 in 1949 and that was their worst season at that point but it's their second worst season in franchise history Scooter McLean would come in um, the infamous Scooter McLean in 1958 and take the crown with the worst season ever with a record of one ten and one but again all things have a silver lining. And we see Vince Lombardi uh, come in and bring the Packers to glory in 1959 and beyond. And that's where the greatness kind of comes in and you have that resurgence. So the Packers were bad on the field, but they're also pretty crappy off the field as well. They were deeply, deeply in debt by 1949. So much so, as you mentioned at the top of the show, they had to play a game in th- on Thanksgiving 1949 just to have enough money to finish the season. Uh, So that game pulled in, I think it was, there was estimates between 35 to 50 K. So, I mean, very bad. And that was instrumental in keeping the team afloat. There's an article that was released on the 3rd of April, 1950. And it was one of five supplied to this paper by the Packers themselves and their PR department. Um, And what they were doing was, is in 1950, there was a Packers stock sale. Um, and I'm going to read a little excerpt of the article for you. And I know there's a bit of a preamble here about this fire and the drama and the arson and all that kind of stuff. But as I was going to write so many questions myself as to, like, how did the Packers get them into the situation where there would be this rumor that they burned the damn place down to get enough money to survive? Were they really in dire straits? And yes, yes, they were. Um, but I'll read out this article that was released. Now, again, this is after the fire. So the fire happened in January 1950. This is an article released on April 3rd, 1950. Um, and it's sort of, it comes from the Packers themselves. And I'll I'll read it and you'll sort of see that it sounds a bit suspicious, sounds a bit suspicious, but here it is. I'll, I'll read it. It's a small expert. Expect cutting costs. There is every indication that professional football will be on a much more efficient basis now that the war between the two leagues is over. All operating expenses will be on a much saner level. The Packers saw the financial reserves they had built up over the years dwindle to nothing in the four years of the pro war. But through the great help of the fans in raising some $35,000 after taxes in the Thanksgiving Day booster game last fall, through a series of cuts in expenses, the latter part of last season, and through the liquidation of the Rockwood Lodge property, the Packers emerged from the war, clear of debt, with their colours still flying. Now it is a question of financing a bigger organisation with which to enter the post-war era. The fans who buy stock in this drive will be guaranteeing the future of the Packers for years to come. The last fall and now is the first time the Packers have had to go to the people for financial help since 1933 and they expect it to be the last time. Now, you and I know it wasn't. Uh, But it just kind of shows you that all of these things had to come together and they never once mentioned that they paid a colossal amount for Rockwood Lodge to begin with, which kind of put them in this mire. Um, But again, I'm kind of getting a bit ahead of myself. I need to explain what the hell Rockwood Lodge was um, and kind of go into Rockwood and explain why they got it, how much they paid for it, why it was controversial. Did everybody hate it? Who did they get it from? Did they build it? so let's get there now the lodge was located on Sturgeon Bay Road New Franken, Wisconsin now when I read that initially it stood out because Sturgeon Bay in fact was the place where Curly Lambeau would ultimately meet his demise he was there he was mowing the lawn for his girlfriend at the time and dropped dead now this isn't Sturgeon Bay this is Sturgeon Bay Road but just the kind of links were a bit mad for me so look after the lodge burned down the Packers retained the land and they sold it to Brown County who developed it into what is now Bayshore Park in 1974. So Rockwood Lodge, there was none, there's none of the structure left. Um, But the Brown County Parks Department held an event in 2018 called Archaeology uh, with the Neville Public Museum which sort of houses all of these artefacts. And they invited the public to go along and dig for artefacts where the building stood Um. And some artefacts were found like parts of ceramic plates that the Packers team would have eaten from a hawker's brick uh, company brick which would have been part of the building itself and also part of a toilet bowl putting the brown in Brown County. Um, It was originally built in 1937 nine years before the Packers bought it by the Norbertine order as a retreat. Um, So that'll give you some context as to just how secluded this place was uh, and it was supposed to be that way by design. So Look, long story short, Rockwood Lodge was a practice facility, a self-contained practice facility, and it was turned into that uh, by the Packers, who bought it from the Norbertine Order, so that the Packers would have somewhere, and in fact, it was the first self-contained training facility for the Packers, and it went from 1946 to 1949, burned down in January 1950, um, and Curly Lambo was a visionary. I get to that now, but I always read about the, the Norbertine order and, you know, St. Norbert's College where they then moved and, you know, do their training camp and stuff like that. And it sort of stood out and I was like, I read it all the time, but what? The, who are these guys? So the Norbertine order were a Catholic order of priests, um, which are referred to as a canon regular, which means that they all lived in a community. Uh, the order originated in France in 1120, Uh, And they were also stationed in England, if you want to bring the UK Packer sort of thing into it. But King Henry VIII got to the throne and just dissolved uh, the Catholic order. Um, The order, in fact, was nearly extinct globally until a prior by the name of Bernard Pennings and a guy called Father Lambert Browns and a lay brother from Bern Abbey in the Netherlands came to the USA and De Pierre de Pierre de Pierre Rosquansen uh, in particular because of the amount of Belgian and Dutch immigrants that were coming into Green Bay at that time. So they set up their Norbertine Abbey um, in America in eighteen ninety-three. So basically Bishop Mesmer of Green Bay saw the amount of immigrants that were coming in from Holland and from Belgium and he reached out to the Norbertines in Holland and said look can you come over and sort of cater to the immigrants that are coming in to the diocese. Um, So the man who would go on and purchase the lodge Curly Lambeau who himself was the son of Belgian immigrants um, you know it all sort of links in so that's why they came over they set up the orders and the Norbertine abbeys um, and then all of a sudden they build this lodge so look, it was the 1946 when they bought it. So it was the end of World War II and an awful lot of veterans were coming back from overseas and it was a housing shortage across a lot of American cities, Green Bay being one of those cities. So as such, Rockwood Lodge, it had 40 rooms, it had a boat dock, tennis courts, baseball diamonds, beach and outdoor theatre and it was absolutely ideal to house the team and their families, in fact, um, after the war. So the setup was that the single players would board in the lodge in sort of bunk bedded rooms and the married players would occupy five cottages around the lodge and everything would be catered for. Uh, it set the team back a whopping $32,000 at the time. And not only did they buy and it was, it was sort of, you know, they called the Packers kind of a religion uh, in Green Bay. And it was actually even a cross-shaped lodge, uh, which I think is fairly apt. But to make it sort of, you know, cater to the Packers and a professional football team, they needed to install a practice field, they needed to remodel and install dressing rooms and other offices that they need to run a ball club Um so you look at this thing and you go, well, why did the Norbertine sell it in the first place? Well, they felt the pinch of the post-war times uh, because they used to rent out the lodge for sort of venues and weddings and conferences and all that kind of stuff. But business dried up because editowners Towners weren't coming in during war times. There was a sort of a fuel rationing that was going on. They didn't come in in the quantities that they had to sort of sustain it. So they decided to sell it then to the Packers. Um, so as I said earlier, the Packers, the first team in the NFL, to have a dedicated, self-contained training facility, and this is just sort of Curly Lambo's. Uh, Cliff Crystal, the team historian, he talks about this with Curly Lambo that he was a pioneer. Um, you know, he always did it big. He was flashy. They call him Hollywood Lambo. Um, the Packers owe their foundation, um, and the early survival to Curly Lambo because he was always doing stuff like this. You know, uh, now again, this turned out to be one of those things that nearly sunk the team. Um, but he was always trying to push the boundaries. In fact. Six years before they set up this dedicated training facility, he charted a plane for the team in 1940, uh, which was the first time that that was ever done in the NFL, and it was for a game in New York because he had a pretty grueling sort of away schedule. Now, that's a story in itself, and I'm definitely going to do a podcast on the first flight because as usual with the Packers history stuff and as usual with Curly Lambeau, it wasn't straightforward. Stuff goes wrong. But again, pioneering stuff. But... Rockwood Lodge and the clues in the name was a terrible place beautiful and uh, I've there was an ESPN article that referred to it as a football utopia Um, and there was loads of people on the sort of guest list and they'd bring them in and they'd wow them with it the the flag stats uh, he was a chef uh, Melvin Flaxton. and he comes into our story a little bit later but they bring him in to be a dedicated chef and caretaker and they've steaks out the wazoo and freshly baked bread and all that kind of stuff but as an actual football facility it was crap right because they needed to build this practice field uh, so they put down a layer of topsoil but it was topsoil and I keep I'm going to regurgitate it because it's in all the articles but there was a limestone bluff um, on this thing because it sort of overlooks Lake Michigan and so to play on this facility with the thin layer of topsoil and basically limestone rock underneath was absolutely awful. It was like playing on rocks. Uh, the team hated it. They call it The Rock because, A, it was like Alcatraz uh, because they we're all sort of stuck there and they had to live in sort of a commune. And second off, because the practice field surface with this limestone uh, base it just gave the players shin splints, Leg injuries, they hated going to ground on it. And in fact, Lambeau had to take his players down to City Stadium sometimes to practice because the field there was much softer. Um, but the lodge itself was opulent. And when decorating it, it is stated in pretty much every source that you read that Lambeau and his third wife spared absolutely no expense, went to town, furnished the place with everything of the best. And of course, that kind of ticked off the board members as well. The board members hated it and they hated it because it cost so much money they didn't like that the team were so far away um, and of course the fans absolutely hated it as well because again remember there was sort of gas rationing if you wanted to get out to this place it was 18 miles outside green bay they were so used to the players going around town and they could interact with them talk to them but in this they're players are kind of shoved away you'd have to drive there which was kind of a no-no in post-war times really inconvenient you had to fuel up the car and go and it just really wasn't the done thing so look i hope i've given you a real sense then of sort of what the lodge was why it was unpopular with the players with business people because the packers weren't around town anymore and business was already tough um and the packers themselves the players it was just horrible to play on so much so that they needed to go elsewhere. Now, it was good for the housing aspect, but pretty much bad for everything else. And not only that, the Packers were performing poorly um, on the field. Some of that was put down to the fact that they didn't have that homely Green Bay vibe. It was they were kind of shoved away um, and they kind of lost their identity a little bit. And not only that, but they were massively heavily in debt. So lo and behold, on January 24th, 1950, when a fire breaks out and burns the lodge to the ground, they get a 75 grand payout and it rescues the team. This team that put on the Thanksgiving game that saved the Packers for the rest of the 1949 season. They're handed this sort of holy grail as such when this place that nobody really liked burns down and yay, we're back in order again, like that article said, right? So let's get then to the fire itself and the definitive story of what happened so there's two schools. Well, there's a couple of schools, I thought. There's kind of three. One is that an arsonist came in and burned the place down so that they could get the insurance payout because without it, the Packers would have folded. The second theory is that there was faulty wiring in the attic and that caused a blaze and the weather at the time didn't help and it fanned the flames and burned the place to the ground and it was just a terrible tragedy. Some people don't buy it. The other one was is that it got struck by lightning. Um. So let's have a look at the accounts from the Flagstads who were, so Melvin Flagstad and his wife were the caretaker husband and wife duo. And they lived there with their kids. And they were there on the night that, or the day actually, that this all happened and all burned down. So without further ado, it's Tuesday, 24th of January. The Flagstads were in the lodge at the time and they were living in the actual lodge uh, because the Packers were on their off-season. So usually they lived in a cottage beside the property, but they were living in the lodge at times during the off-season, and they lived pretty well. So Sandra, one of the daughters... So Sandra Flagstead, one of the daughters um, of Melvin and his wife, uh, was with her brother, Dan. Uh, He was 12. I believe she was 10 at the time. And they were were playing with two of their mates, uh, neighbour kids, On the second story, they were in a room where they kept all of the players' mattresses and they were up there jumping around on the mattresses having a great time. However, Sandra, at 2 2 o'clock, 2pm, she hears this crackling sound and she starts to smell smoke. So she exits that room and opens the door of an adjacent room and she's met with this searing heat and burgeoning fire and flames coming out the door. So the kids... Instantly run downstairs screaming to their parents, and Melvin flags that on hearing them screaming fire, passes them on the staircase, runs up the stairs with a fire extinguisher in his hand in an attempt to control the blaze that's just broken out in the lodge. So, not only was that to no avail because the fire was ferocious already, he got you now trapped upstairs and he was screaming for help. And the only method of escape for him was through a second story window. So Melvin smashed the window panes with his left hand, receiving a three-inch gash uh, in doing so and vaulted himself out of the window, landing on a butcher's block that was stored on the driveway that they would receive deliveries of meat and stuff like that. So look, at this stage, the fire was already out of control and in somewhat of a freak weather system at that time, there was thunder rumbling, there was lightning flashing, there was snow coming down, sleet. Uh, you know, the kids were said to have went out barefoot or in their stocking feet uh, onto the driveway into like knee deep snow. So with this gusting wind, it fanned the flames of the fire. Um, and it was sort of theorized as well as I said that you know maybe it was the lightning that started this. So about fifteen minutes to half an hour after the fire broke out, the Duquesne Lumber Company fire crew arrived. Um, And their job mainly was to kind of, because the lodge was well up in flames at this point. So their job was to save the five adjacent cottages to the lodge um, with it being a lost cause. But it kind of didn't matter anyway, because the way the wind was blowing, it was pushing the flames well away from the cottages. So they pretty much had an actionless task. In a weird twist of fate, another fire crew from Preble uh, were two miles away and they were rushing to the scene as well, um, but their fire truck breaks down. So not only did this fire break out that saved the Packers franchise, but one of the fire trucks en route to stop the flames broke down. But to be honest, you know, they couldn't have done anything had they got there anyway. uh, There were hoses on hand that night to douse the fire uh, but it wasn't that he use. The fire was long out of control and the hoses were actually never used. And the flagstads stood in stocking feet um, as nearly all of their earthly possessions were completely incinerated. Now, his daughter did go on in a later article with Cliff Crystal and say that uh, Melvin did run back into the lodge to rescue some violins. But pretty much everything else that they owned burned down. How fortunate for the Packers that they saved their franchise. Now, there's loads of articles on this since. There's an ESPN article. Uh, there is um, a sort of think piece and videos and stuff on Fox 11 where they say that arson was suspected. And it was suspected because it was just so fortuitous for the Packers that they were going to fold, basically, because I think there were $90,000 in debt. Um And this fire comes along and pretty much wipes out the debt that they have and they can move forward. So with that alone sort of points fingers towards this was a bit fortunate. And there was a running joke around Green Bay and amongst all the board members about, you know, like, oh, we know we started the fire, but which one lit it? And that was supposed to be a running joke. But there's a guy, a Packers writer called Larry Dames who's written loads of books on the Packers. And he's come out and said that a now deceased board member at the time of recording, when they recorded it, not me, uh, said that they were up to the task, that they did it, they know who did it, and it was them at stake. Now, Cliff Crystal comes out scathingly and says that Larry Names' books are conspiracy theory-filled books and that is basically an old BS and nonsense. Um, He said, look, it was a running joke amongst everybody around Green Bay at the time, solely because it worked out so well for the Packers. Cliff Crystal and uh, the daughter sat down and did an article about it and she said that it was definitely a wiring issue in the attic. Um, so that was Ellen Catch Kyo. by the way. Keho is what they like to call her, but it's Kyo. So she was the daughter um, and she wrote the article or, or participated in it with Cliff Crystal in Voyager magazine. And she said, I think it was an electrical fire. I was standing there outside a linen closet At the end of the season in 49, when the fire chief was making an inspection and he said, I'm going to report this to the corporation and you have to back us up. This has to be fixed or you're going to have a problem here. These are all bare wires. So, you know, 1949 swings around. The fire marshal's out there. He's telling her dad, listen, this is a hazard waiting to happen. And lo and behold, it does. Um, the other reasons that Cliff Crystal says that the sort of arson angle, is all nonsense was, is that it was done at 2pm in the middle of the day in the wide Open. So, as I said, this place is secluded enough, but it kind of sits out on its own. So they said so Cliff Crystal sort of theorises, right, it was 2 o'clock in the day, the Flagstad family, so Melvin his wife and their two kids along with two of their friends are in the property at the time. Would an arsonist come into the house and set fire to the house with everybody in it at two o'clock in the day where there was no cover that if you were to sort of, you know, skirt your way from the property, you were leaving yourself open to be seen. And would you try and incinerate a whole family in the property? Because you're not going to be guaranteed that they're going to get out. In fact, we've already heard that Melvin Flagstad got stuck on the second story and had to jump out of a window to survive. Um, So he was like, does that sound plausible? Um and there's also talk that the Flagstads themselves did it uh, when they lost everything pretty much everything Um, and I'll get on to a little bit later just how much they did lose but he runs upstairs with a fire extinguisher and nearly dies because he's trying to put the fire out so the fact that he did it was complete another nonsense um, but he also questions as well that there's a story about a gas tank in the house and after the fire breaks out Um, that Melvin Flagstad gets help to pull this gas tank out of the house to avoid a massive explosion on top of the fire. And Cliff Crystal questions, like with the arsonist, first off, we know the fire starts on the second floor because um, Sandra and her brother Dan and the two kids open that door on the second floor and see the flames. So they know that it started upstairs. So that meant that the arsonist would have to go upstairs past the gas tank which would have been the obvious one to cause a massive explosion fire and get it done with um, and set the fire. Um, He also said that, you know, they. and this is the other sort of mystery, I guess, is that they tried to find an investigation into the fire and looked because the insurance payout was, that's a colossal amount of money back then. And there doesn't seem to be an investigation into what caused the fire. And Cliff Crystal went looking for it, Fox went looking for it, any documentation whatsoever about what caused the fire, um, and there's nothing. There's the only thing that's there is the newspaper article after the fact to say the place burned down. So my question would be is that surely the insurance company did the due diligence on it without before paying it out? Um to look into you know what started it, could they because we know insurance companies. They have that reputation, anecdotally at least, of trying to get out of pain stuff. But I wonder, was the protection, the, the insurance protection, was there a blanket protection against arson or accidental fire or whatever? And maybe that's an avenue to go down. And I think they reached out to the fire department, but there's no sort of, you know, backup as to what was done to to get to the bottom of it. Um, When you look at the flag stats themselves that family lost about three to four grand's worth of belongings, basically everything that they had. And it said that they had to be taken in by a local reverend, but in the name of EA Beck and his wife, they take in the family while they're getting back up on their feet. And interestingly as well, um, Sandra, or I think it was Sandra, came out and said that the Packers or the insurance company never paid them or recompensated them for anything after they lost pretty much everything but that her parents were more pious than you know bitter and they just wanted to get on with their lives in fact so the father went in apparently and pulled out some violins but there's two artifacts two items that sort of are included in one of them is included in a very famous photo of the aftermath that survived it all which just adds as usual to the Packers history and the folklore there was a massive green Davenport sofa somehow found its way out onto the driveway, along with a pencil portrait of Curly Lambeau that used to hang as he walked in the lodge. And that pencil portrait of Curly Lambeau survives to this day. So the picture now sits in a boardroom in the Lambeau Field uh, Packers Hall of Fame. But it had been owned by Lambeau's brother-in-law. Then he gave it to a friend who displayed it in a corner drugstore in Washington Street in downtown Green Bay. And then when he passed, his wife donated it to the Packers who displayed it in Curly's pub in the atrium uh, before it now got moved to the Packers Hall of Fame boardroom. So it's mysterious because it saved the Packers skin and saved the Packers franchise in a dire area of need. It it was hated. The Rockwood Lodge was hated eventually by everybody. It cost too much money. The cost of running it was insane to put the players out there the fans hated it the players hated practicing on it um and it seems just all too convenient but from chris the cliff cliff crystal's point of view jesus fall in love with myself he sort of says for all of these reasons like what an arsonist really go in and set the fire it was obviously a running joke you know anyone who doesn't get the fact that they were being sarcastic and taking the pee uh well then just doesn't get it um, but it does look fortuitous the fact that there's no investigation to be found either but look there's evidence there that the you know the daughter goes on to say that the lights in the place used to flicker on and off um, it was a ghost basically it was a ghost that's who did it this should be called a ghost story uh, you know the the wires used to there were bare wires um in the attic and that's what set it off and then the inclement weather at the time thunder and lightning and everything else just fanned the flames and the minute the fire did go up it completely incinerated the place so look, it's not definitive. In my opinion, I think it was just dodgy wiring. It went up and it just adds another bit of intrigue to the Packers. Some, and you'll see, if you come over on the annual trip, you'll see it. You'll see with your own eyes. It's absolutely mind-blowing and gobsmacking. Slob our knocker. To see that a place as small as Green Bay You know, what's the population, 80,000, 103,000, something like that, can take a professional franchise in the NFL and make it work. And now with the sort of, you know, revenue sharing and all that, it's here to stay and they can move it and all that. But it's just mind blowing that this is just another one of those freak things that kept the Packers afloat um, and made them into that billion dollar franchise that they are today. It's fascinating. But let me know what you think. Get onto the Discord and let me know. Do you think someone did go in and light the fire? Was it dodgy wiring? There's great articles out there. If you just type in uh, Rockwood Lodge, uh, you'll be able to find them. And hopefully I've encapsulated an awful lot in this podcast. Look, it's a fiver to get in and win that trip over to Green Bay. Patreon.com forward slash UK Packers, get onto the Discord, we're kind of using it as a forum, if not get onto Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, just go at UK Packers and of course get onto YouTube youtube.com forward slash UK Packers as well, you can find us everywhere um, Anything to say, get us in contact, drop us a DM, uh, email us at info at UK. There are limited spaces left if you want to pay for a place on the trip and if you are paying for a place on the trip, you can still enter the draw and win it and get all your money back. But anyway, I have been at NFL. Let me know what you thought of the episode and I'll be back next week for some more awesome Packers content. Go Pack Go!